Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life's defining moments don't always feel that great when they are happening. In the moment, they can feel challenging, uncomfortable, difficult, impossible even. But with hindsight, they can take on a different shape. Each week, I ask my guests to share their biggest life learnings to date as we explore those difficult, swampy, infuriating times and how they shaped them, all from a comfortable distance that's afforded them the time to take the positive out of what might have seemed nothing but negative at the time. Because whether it's risks, excuses, obstacles, opportunities, both missed and taken, successes, regrets, curveballs, weaknesses, strengths, and perhaps the hardest lesson of all, being wrong, they are the reason they are the person they are today. The person sitting in front of me on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show. My guest today is Angie McLean, who has the most incredible and impressive broadcast career, making her one of the most trusted and familiar faces on our TV screens. Her longest television tenure was 13 years as the anchor on Loose Women, the UK's daily primetime lunchtime panel show featuring discussion of the day's news, celebrity gossip and interviews. Everyone, including Oprah Winfrey, Goldie Hawn, Beyonce, Britney Spears and Michael Bublé, have been guests on the panel. She was born in Glasgow and she and her sister were raised in Trinidad and Tobago until they moved back to Scotland when Andrea was 15. She earned a degree in modern studies at Coventry University and a postgraduate degree in periodical journalism. McLean has rarely been off our TV screen, starting out on the Weather Channel before GMTV, the UK's most watched breakfast show, and then Loose Women. She has also participated in the BBC One gymnastics show Tumble, took part in Dancing on Ice, and was brave enough to sign up for SAS Who Dares Wins, and has just come joint second on Mastermind. But things have not always been as glossy in Andrea's real life as they may have looked on TV, and in 2019, she had a breakdown, and at the time thought, I didn't think I could ever feel good again. Her experiences with anxiety and her mental health have informed This Girl Is On Fire, the online community she has created, now a certified life coach, to support women in midlife. She provides online courses, group coaching, motivational days, and much more. Her goal is to always pay it forward. And if you're feeling stuck, lost, or rudderless, she's your woman. Andrew McLean, it's such a pleasure to welcome you onto The Emma Gunn Show. It's so strange hearing that read out, isn't it? Because, you know, you, you're sitting here as a normal person thinking, gosh, that sounds so impressive. <gasps> That's me. Thank you. you. Did that. I did that. <laughs> I did that. And I love the idea that I'm there for the rudderless. Yes, I think you are. I, I know. And I think what is so impressive about that is because that's a position you found yourself in mm. and you hated it. And in piecing yourself back together, 
it wasn't just your journey. You just thought, oh, I want to leave the breadcrumbs for other people to be able to put themselves back together too. Well, it, I've always been this way. So it's not like something happened in particular around about the time that I had my breakdown, which, which, you, which you touched on. I think I've always been this way ever since I was little. You know, if I found a, a great new sticker book or something, then I had to share it with everyone. And, you know, I've just always, always been like this. But in terms of how that then became my own business, it was writing a book about something as personal as having a hysterectomy and going into full surgical menopause, um, trying to answer the basically I had 10,000 women got in touch with me over 24 hours because I mentioned it once on the telly because I was having to have time off. And I realized I couldn't keep up with this wave upon wave of questions. So I wrote a book about it. And this was back in, that was actually back in 2016, 17. So long before it kind of became the topic. It, it was, and actually it didn't go down very well at all. You know, the my agent told me, I cannot believe you're wanting to talk about this because you're, everyone's going to think you're old and past it and you will probably lose your job. But I did it anyway. And that kind of sums up how I've been. No, I've, co I, I've managed to track down experts and get all this information. I want to pay it forward. And then I finished the book and thought, I want to keep going with this. How can I help across so many other levels? You know, you touched on anxiety, mental health, but also, success and stubbornness and keeping goingness, all of that stuff. How can I pay all of that forward? So now I just do it full time rather than part time. Well, the thing I like to open the show with is to ask my guests about their relationship with risk. And it seems like such a pertinent question for you, because even then you've just said your agent told you not to do something. You were told it will be a risk to talk about this. So in general, what do you think your relationship with risk is like? I suppose it depends which way you're looking at it. Because if you were looking at it from underneath, I'd, you'd say, Andrea McLean has a ridiculous attitude to risk because she keeps taking them. <laughs> uh, but if you were looking at it from a different angle, you'd say Andrea McLean has an amazing attitude to risk because she feels the fear and does it anyway. But again, I've always been this way. And the way I see it is if I feel really strongly in myself that I want to do something, whether it's a you know, write a book or go for a job or try something that I know is scary or may potentially hurt, but I think could be an interesting experience. I weigh up the pros and cons normally quite fast. Mm -hmm. And then I decide I'm going to do it. And then that's it. I keep going with it. Um, you know, I like to think that I'm strong and fluid. I, I always imagine myself a bit like a river. I don't try and smash through something like dynamite mm -hmm. but I will keep going at something until it gradually wears down and I get to where I want to go and if something isn't working I'm fluid enough to step back and go right okay I took a big chance on that it hasn't worked survey examine what's happening move forward I think I'd be a really good general as long as I didn't actually have to go into battle I'm actually quite good at sort of stepping back and surveying the scene and going right okay we need to change tack here what can we do so yeah I have a pretty good attitude to risk you're a great strategist so tell me then what is the biggest risk you've ever taken my most recent big risk because actually I had the most to lose was quitting my very successful job in the middle of a global pandemic to do something that I felt was right. 
doing something that you feel is right is not always the most sensible thing to do because it, you know, you at the in your 50s, you have you have a mortgage, you have a family to support, you have people who rely on you. And whilst I had taken big leaps of faith before, you know, I drove to London with everything I owned in the backseat of my car and slept on floors and eventually moved into a bedsit the size of a disabled toilet to break into journalism because I thought, right, London is where the jobs are and I had no contacts. But I thought, right, you're never going to make it happen not being there, so go. Um, I had nothing to lose. I was on my own. So, you know, it's a much easier risk to take. Leaping again in my 50s was my biggest risk because there was no guarantee that it was going to work. The whole world was changing. Nobody knew, um, you know, how things were going to be coming out of the pandemic. But everything I spoke about a moment ago in terms of wanting to help women in a way that felt right for me, I wanted to make it a full-time thing, not a part-time thing. And I couldn't keep doing it whilst working on telly. So Nick and I sat, Nick, my husband, he's the co-founder of This Girls on Fire and very much part of the whole machine of it, of it all. Um, we sat down and we wrote what we now call our blueprint for failure. <laughs> and everybody thinks, right, when you do something big and, you know, scary, but also a big leap of faith, you, you, you have a vision board and you write your success plan and, you know, all of this. And absolutely you do, but you also need to have a plan in place for if and when it all goes wrong. So we wrote our blueprint for failure, which was, okay, so you quit your job. Uh, you have a certain amount of savings in the, in the, in the bank. Uh, I, have, I had other jobs lined up that were due to come in. Um, okay, the money will last this long. We think it will cost this much to get the business up and running. Are you okay with that? Yes. All right. What if this goes wrong? What will you do? Okay, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. What if this goes wrong? What will you do? And it was like a like a flow chart of disaster. <laughs> and we kept going and going and going until practically you are now living in a box under Waterloo Bridge. Will you still keep going? Yes. Like, right. So I wrote my resignation letter in the notes section of my phone, uh, went into work the next day, did what could have been my last show, because in t TV is very mm -hmm. similar to other industries where once you hand your notice in, you may well just be told to go. Um, so I didn't know what was going to happen. So I was mentally quietly saying goodbye to everyone from the security man to the girl I bought my coffee off in the morning to all the makeup girls and even to the studio audience when I signed off on that show. No one at home would have noticed, but I was giving a very meaningful Paddington stare kind of look into the camera as in, goodbye. And then I got into my car and sat there, took the notes section, copied, pasted it, put it in an email and resigned. And then just started the engine and drove home and thought, I have no idea what's going to happen now. And um, about half an hour later, the phone rang and it was the head of daytime going, oh my God, I've been in a meeting. I've just come out and seen your email. Is everything okay? And I said, no, everything's fine. I'm, I'm leaving for me. This is, it's been glorious, but now it's time for me. So she breathed out. And then actually they were wonderful. And I was able to stay and um, talk about what I was doing, which was, which was beautiful. But in terms of risk, on the day I actually announced it on the TV, 
every brand that I'd had lined up to do corporate work and PR work, every single one of them dropped me because I wasn't going to be that lady on the telly anymore. And arriving home that day, you know, and I'm a bit jittery. Oh, I've just announced it on TV. And, and then my agent rang and said, I'm really sorry, but they've all gone. So my safety net, that had been whipped away. So then it was a case of, right, let's unscroll that blueprint for failure and cross that one off. Now what do we do? And it's been like that ever since. You just, you just have to hang on. It's a roller coaster ride. Okay, this has happened. Now, now what do we do? Let's regroup. Let's rethink and keep going. Was there a time where you thought, I'm going to try and do both? Yeah, because This Girls on Fire actually started as a free online blog uh, in... I can never remember. It's coming up to its fifth year now. And I worked myself into the ground for it because I wanted it to be so good and so trustworthy. And I didn't want it to have sponsors or adverts. I wanted it to be this really clean space that you know whatever you read on here has no agenda. No one is trying to sell you anything. This is not the latest must-have. This is just pure good advice. So I was paying journalists and experts in their field, the, the going rate for their services to pay to write an article or, or what have you. Because I didn't, I didn't want to just say, oh, well, guess what? If you do this for free, you can come on this and you can promote whatever mm. you like, the normal thing. But what it meant was it was free to the world, but it wasn't free for me to run. And I tried to keep that going by, you know, working and broadcasting and everything else. But it meant that I was ending up working and doing a hundred other jobs to keep this one thing going. And I'd get home from work after writing articles in the back of a cab and on, in trains and doing interviews and then arrive home and start work on mm. that. And then you're working until late at night. And it got to the point I thought, I can't keep this going. We need to turn it into something that is still pure, but has its own way of generating uh, a revenue. So for me, I felt the cleanest way to do that was to make it a membership. So you pay to come through the doors. And then again, everything I give you, you can trust. No one's trying to push anything on you. You work at your own pace, but you know that it is all here for your own, for your good mm. to do in the way that, that works for you. So that was what I, why I announced I was leaving. The reason I ask is because I think we've glamorized this idea of having it all, doing it all. And when you have a position like that, you are on one of the most watched t TV shows. You're the anchor of one of the most watched TV shows. You're incredibly good at what you do. I'm guessing, well, did you have people say to you, are you mad? And how did you put the boundary up between that and still knowing that you were taking the risk for the right reasons? Yeah, everybody told me I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> so before I decided to, um, to quit my job, I took a lot of advice because it's a, it's a big decision. So obviously I asked my agent at the time who understands this landscape more than anyone else. Uh, and we had a group meeting. There's a few of us and it was, um, there was, there was a resolution passed that it, I was mad to think that this is going to work. And I, so I thought, okay, right. That's their take on it. And then I, I booked an appointment to see one of the top PR guys in, in the UK. Now, this man is hugely successful. He runs the careers of huge stars. And, uh, I contacted him and said, I'm not on your books, but can I just have a coffee with you and just ask you? some advice. And he really kindly said yes. And I went along and I explained what I was going to do. And he said, you're mad. 
The, the, the waters will close over your head. You'll disappear and no one will care. You, you're thinking that because you're going to do something that is a really beautiful idea, that people will be as behind it as you are, but they won't. So I would strongly advise you to stay where you are and keep doing, to, doing both. So I said, thank you very much and um, went home and did it anyway. Have you ever thought, what if, what if I'd stayed? No, because this is one thing that I am pretty good at. For someone who is, you know, I'm, I'm a very sensitive person. I'm a very caring person and I hurt a lot and I tend to feel a lot. I feel all the feels. But once I've made a strong decision like that, I, I draw a line and then there is no point looking back because I've taken those steps and I've gone. So there's no point thinking, oh, what if? That's not going to get me anywhere. So my what ifs fall forward, mm. if you know what I mean. They don't, they don't go backwards. So no. And also because I left on my terms and I loved it and it was, I had a lovely goodbye and that was that. And I shut the doors and, you know, posted the keys through the letterbox and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an incredible thing to have done. Because a lot of people would think it was so secure and safe and you just can continue doing that forever and ever. Mm. Do you have, is there part of you that doesn't like to stay the same? No, I, I'm a very strange person in that I'm almost a person of two halves. I love security and comfort and stability on one hand. And on the other hand, I kind of like recklessness. I kind of like adventure and the who knows what's going to happen. I, I really do enjoy that. I like that kind of heart racing, you know, stomach churning. Isn't this exciting? Who knows what, you know, what's going to happen? Which I think is why I've taken part in so many crazy TV shows over the years and done so many adventurous things. But then I like coming home to a really cozy home and um, knowing exactly where I am. I, I do sometimes think if I had been born a man, I probably would have been an adventurer or something like that and had the home fires burning nicely and come home and, you know, everything would have been all cozy. But actually then after a few months, I'd have gone out and done something adventurous again. And I know people will be raging listening to this thinking, you can still do it as a woman. But it is sort of harder as a as a mother and, all, and also a breadwinner. I've mm -hmm. always been both. Um, so you kind of have to balance both. But yeah. I ask because... I'm the same. I really crave security. I, I feel like I'm always hustling to get to a point that feels comfortable. And then when I'm there, it doesn't take long for me to get really, not anxious, but I would say... Um, a bit itchy. Fidgety. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's utterly mad. But also, oh, what fun. What fun. And I think as well, I mean, you're, you're younger than me, but when you get into your 50s, it it does change because you realize you've actually got less time left to do exciting things. So you, I don't know, on the one hand, yes, you still want comfort and it, it hurts more when you go to your adventurous things because your bones get a bit more creaky, but you still <laughs> want to do them. Of course yeah. you do. The difference is I don't care so much whether people think I'm mad anymore. Mm, well, we can come on to that, but I want to ask you as well. So that's a big risk. Yeah. And it involved a lot of doing. It involved a lot of deciding where you wanted to be and working your path there. 
And mm. we all have things that we want to do. And sometimes the thing that stops us getting there is the excuses that we make. Yeah. Do you have an excuse that crops up in your life, whether it's one that you make for you or whether it's something that you find that you excuse other people for? I'm kind of, my weakness is making excuses for other people rather than making excuses for myself. I kind of know where my weaknesses are and I sort of look them in the face. Um, you know, there are things I don't like doing. So I'm quite upfront about the fact that I don't like, I don't like doing them. But my biggest weakness is, has been poor choices in men in my past um, and making too many allowances for not just not just them, but also poor behavior I, um, in general, either towards me, against me, around me, you know, this sort of thing. Because I'm naturally quite accommodating and also quite people-pleasing. So I'd rather just swallow it, take it on the chin, uh, make an excuse for their bad day, their bad mood, their whatever behavior. Um, I, th I think that. You have the unholy combination, which I believe I also have a smidge of, which is of being a people pleaser and also being a highly sensitive person and not highly sensitive in the sense of um, mm. just finely tuned to other people's yeah. needs and wants. You've talked about that in the past, and I would be interested to know how you, how you're able to stop pleasing other people first and start pleasing yourself first. I I really struggle with that. Um, I really do. And in terms of being finely tuned, I, again, I've always been this way. I've always been able to read an atmosphere in a room, and sometimes I look around and I think, why can you not feel this? Can you? Not, or if I see someone or, or uh, acting quite boorishly, I suppose it's quite a good word. And I think, how are you not reading the room? How are you not seeing that you're not going down well? You think you're funny and you're not. You're hurting people's feelings. What are you doing? How am I able to balance the two? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's a constant sort of juggle within myself. It's strange. I, you know, I went from being the quietest person on the show that I worked. And for a long time, time that was seen as a as a weakness um and that I was making excuses you know for other people but I never saw it that way that just because you're quiet and you're sensitive and you're in tune and you're listening and you're actually really hearing what someone is saying even if every part of you is disagreeing with them you don't necessarily have to shout back about it mm. because will it do any good sometimes yes so absolutely speak up firmly but if not there's no point so don't did you do you remember hearing about what a highly sensitive person an hsp yes an hsp is mm. and did you just have that moment of oh my goodness this isn't this isn't madness this is a real thing i was at a i was at a photo shoot when i first heard about it and it was a it was for a very glossy magazine and there are about eight very high-powered, successful women in this photo shoot, and I was lucky enough to be one of them. And it was an incredible day, and everyone was kind of fussing about, and we we all had to wear white and, you know, look great and all that, so it was hair and makeup and everything. And people had arrived with little entourages and this sort of thing. I'd arrived by myself <laughs> and uh, had brought a book. And 
was just sitting quietly to the side. I'd had my hair and makeup done. I was waiting for other people to get ready. And uh, the catering people came in with some food. So I just went and quietly got some food. And this woman came up to me and she was a friend of someone who'd come along. And she said, I've been watching you. And I was thinking, oh, okay. And she said, um, you're very interesting. Have you ever heard of uh, highly sensitive people or HSP? And I went, no, I've never heard of this before. What is this? So she told me about it and she recommended a book that I should read. So I ordered it immediately on Amazon, arrived the next day like it does. And I read it and was blown away because I just thought I was strange. Mm-hmm. The fact that I, I don't like a lot of noise and fuss. And if everyone is shouting and clamoring, I'd rather just step to the side and let them sort of crack on. Um, But once I read it and realized, ah, that's why I am how I am. Cool. Now I know that. I'll just crack on. And it didn't mean anything in terms of changing anything about myself. It just meant I understood more. And then I realized it's actually a bit of a superpower because you listen more. Nobody's listening anymore. If everybody's talking, nobody's listening and everybody's talking right now. Nobody's Mm -hmm. leaving space to breathe and just allow things to be. Everybody has to have an opinion and it either has to be yes or no. It can't be, actually, I can see a little bit of both. Actually, I don't agree with either of you, but I can see where you're coming from. Now let's carry on with the rest of our day. Do you not think it's like deciphering what people are saying? Actually, what they're really saying is what they're not saying. It's like the thing that they are communicating. Mm -hmm. So troll comments, for example, what they say, you can then very easily just say, well, this is what this is what upsets you. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on with you. It's not about that. I, f- I find now communication is about decoding what people are actually going through rather than taking them at face value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I've, I've tried, I have many methods for coping with that. Sometimes I, I will answer uh, kindly <laughs> um, and ask them to explain what they what they mean by that. And sometimes that goes really well and you end up having an incredible conversation with someone and, and you both realize, okay, we're never going to agree on this, but all good, let's just crack on with our day. The world is full of a billion views. We're not all going to feel the same. Mm-hmm. And other times it goes really badly wrong. And actually it's like rattling a box of snakes and you realize, right, okay, now I'm just going to block you because <laughs> you're very, very angry and I don't, I don't want you in my kitchen because that's how I see my social media is like I've invited you into my kitchen and uh, just because I've put a picture or a little film or said something um, I've invited you to you know have a little look at it come in my kitchen but if you don't like it don't follow me Mm. don't read it and get annoyed and then keep coming back and reading it that's like constantly coming into my house and you don't like my house and it makes you angry Mm. Why keep doing that? So don't come in. Yeah. It's like having the elastic bands on the wrist and just voluntarily twanging yourself with it for some sort of pain. Mm. If you don't like someone's content, look There away. are lots of people, and I totally understand why people wouldn't like me. I don't like everybody, so why would I expect everyone to like me? But I also wouldn't go into their kitchen. So I'd just no. stay away. I, I don't understand why you would keep doing that. No. It's not good for you. Stop it. It's an unhealthy, it is an unhealthy pastime, but it's one that so many people are engaged in and it's so accessible. Do you know, it is, but also I do think we have kind of lost our way with this. Switch off all your notifications. 
Leave your phone in your bag. When you're meeting a friend, leave your phone in your bag. You do not need to, both of you, whip it out on the table, have it face up and constantly your eyes darting down. Mm-hmm. T- to me, it's like, am I not interesting enough? Are you constantly looking to see what else there is that you could be doing? I've been to enough networking events and people looking over my shoulder to see if there's someone more interesting. I don't really want a friend to be doing it as well. So we make a pact to leave your phone in your in your bag. Do the same. Why do you, why, why can't you just walk down a street and look at the view? without taking a photograph of it. I once put a post out where I met a girlfriend and we went for a long dog walk and uh, it was great. We hadn't seen each other for quite a long time. So we had some catching up to do. And uh, I got home and I realized we hadn't taken a photograph. So I drew a little sketch of some pencil people, (laughs) (laughs) took a photograph of it and put it out on Instagram. I went, apparently if I don't take a picture of it, it didn't happen. So this was me and my friend today out for a walk just to show how ridiculous it is. Why do we need to take a photograph of everything? Just live it. I have a friend who says, you know, you're having a good time if you get home and you haven't got any pictures. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, you want to take some, but for yourself, I I don't understand it. How does an HSP, how does a highly sensitive person navigate networking? You just mentioned people looking over your shoulder at events. You are a a well-known face. So I'm sure that a lot of times you were the person over the shoulder who someone got barged out of the way for because someone wanted to get to you. But how did you cope with that? Because it can feel quite um, brutal. It can feel brutal. I'm a terrible networker. (laughs) I'm really bad at it. And this is why not only am I happy that I'm married to Nick, who's a lovely man, but also he's a brilliant networker. So what's so funny is I've spent almost quarter of a century in the public eye. So I'm used to I'm used to being on a stage. I yeah, I get nervous, but actually once I'm on a stage, I'm I'm really good at what I do and I can hold a room and I'm funny and informative and all the things. Uh I could do live broadcasting for millions of people. But put me in a room where I'm expected just to talk to everyone, not necessarily in a hosting it kind of way. And I'm so shy. I don't know where to begin. So I'm normally found against a wall near the kitchens because then you can grab the waitress as, as they come out and you get first first look at the tray. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then I normally chat to the waiting staff more than I chat to anyone else. I normally find out more about so where have you where you know where have you come from today? How long a shift are you working? How interesting? How long have you been here? All of that than speak to anyone else. And the reason for that is, one, I'm so shy, but two, because I'm so well-known, people come up and they kind of talk at me. They very rarely talk with me, if you know what I mean. Mm. And so when Nick does it, I can see it. They have a proper conversation, but with me, they're either trying to sell me something or they want me to sell their thing. They're not actually having a conversation with me, and it makes me feel so shy and awkward I'd rather talk to the waiters and the waitresses and then go home Mm. so I'm dreadful at it it's why you should never go off and speak to celebrities and it's because you already have assumptions and you already have something in your mind about them so when you meet you're already quite a way into that relationship with them Mm. for them they're starting completely cold yeah, and you and I don't know who you are. But saying that, no, do come and say hello. But let's just have a normal conversation. No, I'm about, talking about me going oh, to Tom okay. Cruise and being like, let's talk about that stunt you did. He'd be like, get away from me. Um, <laughs> that's just me being over enthusiastic. 
<laughs> I don't know. Tom Cruise is probably very proud of his stunts. I we we watched him on a little YouTube clip the other day doing a motorcycle ride over a cliff five times or something. I reckon he'd be really keen to talk about that. Mm. You're right. You're absolutely. But you don't mind if people come up to you and they talk to you as if you're Andrew. No, I love Patelli. it. No, come and have a chat, but but don't. Um, it's it's so hard to describe. It's almost like, hey, you're that lady. Hold this thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like asking someone to marry you without even inviting them out for a drink first. Can't I even get to know you? Or is it currency? We talk about it in the beauty world. So in the beauty world, my background is beauty journalism. Uh, I have lots of friends who are in PR and they'll turn up to meet you with a big bag of product. That's their currency. And yeah. if you don't have any currency, your relationships change. And so you have the currency of being able to platform people or shed light on something. Yeah. And and funny enough, it depends how someone asks. Sometimes I will happily do it just because <laughs> I think, do you know what? You're really cheeky and you're fun and I like you. But if someone comes at me like a bull in a china shop, every one of my spider senses goes off and I just think no mm. and you can ask me until the the dawn of time or the whatever it is and I will never say yes to you like I, it's not going to happen because I don't like how you how you've just kind of come at me don't come at me that's a good boundary that's a good boundary yeah never thought about that actually it I suppose it is a good boundary I suppose it's probably the only boundary I have because I'm pretty rubbish in my personal life with boundaries work has, life yes has that ever made people think that you're being unreasonable or unhelpful or oh she's so difficult very often and uh there are people who've thought that I'm up myself and snobby and who does she think she is and actually it's not it's actually that I'm very shy and maybe you've just come at me um literally just in, in my face and I go like a turtle back into my shell. And they think, wow, she's, look at her. She won't even do this thing. And actually it's because I feel mm. attacked. Um, so yeah, it, don't rush up to someone and ask to marry them. <laughs> Buy them a drink first. <laughs> Take me off for dinner. <laughs> but I think it's very interesting because I think shyness does translate as standoffishness or being aloof or being difficult. Or, And I remember the first ever beauty lunch I went to first ever lunch. I didn't know I could get a taxi there. I was so worried about, I thought it was a lunch hour. So I didn't know you could stay as long as the event was taking place. I thought I got to get there. I've got an hour. I've got to get out. And it was a very, very scary scenario. There were lots of beauty editors there. I didn't know anyone. It was my first time. And I was sat next to somebody who was very into the magazine I was writing for and just kept asking me about celebrities. And I thought, I don't know what I can say. I don't know what I can say. So I completely froze up. 48 hours later, the editor says, you need to come into my office. There's been a complaint about how rude you were. Because I just completely froze because I didn't know. I, what can I say about Hugh Grant? I don't know. So this person who's asking really deeply intrusive questions has complained to, about you being rude. Thought I was being standoffish. Maybe they need to have a little look at their, their, their approach. <laughs> but I could see how it would come across like that. You just sort of like, you're sitting next to this person at lunch and they're a complete brick wall. But it wasn't me thinking, oh, get away from me, you plebeian. It was me thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get into trouble and I don't know what I can say. And it was a completely, it's yeah. interesting what is perceived outwardly versus what's actually happening inwardly, which I think you also have. But also, I'm now fascinated by this person. <laughs> you know, if actually they'd have read the room a little bit better, and said to you, "Am I am I being a bit intrusive here? Are they are, are you not really allowed to talk about 
celebrities. Oh, I totally get that. That must be interesting for you because you must have so many experiences that you can't talk about. You know, what kind of things can you mm. say? Come at it that way rather than just keep banging on the door and hoping <laughs> that you'll open it. <laughs> I think we were both just very young and too, and didn't know what the right thing to do was. So maybe we were both at fault that day. I You're definitely. too nice. <laughs> well, I just, it was 20 years ago now. So uh. I'm glad to see you let it go. <laughs> Because I still remember the sheer panic of, because mm. um, that would have been my job. Of course. And I'd only been there three months. Of course. And it was my dream job. And it was just kind of like the the, the sword of Damocles, which did hang over me for nine and a half years there. It mm. was like, oh, it's, it's looking like it's going to fall. So I think that was, that's why I remember it. I think you're a very responsible employee. <laughs> I'd have been very happy if you'd have been working for me and I would have said to the person who rang up saying you're rude, she's professional. So there. She's new. She's just a bit shy. <laughs> um, so that was a challenge that I yeah. had to face in the early days of my journalism career. What is, are you quite good at facing challenges? I think you are. I am. I, I'm very, I'm very calm in a, in a crisis. Um, <laughs> I then flap afterwards and kind of run around in circles going, oh, my God, oh, my God, that was so terrifying. Oh, my God. Um, but at the time, you know, whether it's one of my children falling over and I remember my daughter, Amy, I heard a scream that only a mother can understand. And I was like, mm, that's a different scream. Mm. Ran outside and Amy's clutching the back of her head going, I have a hole in my head. And she did, in fact, have a hole in her head and staying very calm and recognizing, right, I have a red tea towel somewhere. I'm going to press that against the back of her head because if she sees how much blood's coming out, she's going to freak and calmly driving her to A&E and whispering to the lady, she has a hole in her head. She needs to see someone right now and giving her, again, the Paddington Bear stare right now. So, yeah, and then afterwards crying, going, oh, my God, she literally, you know, what could happen? Um, but, uh, but also years of live television, you have to be good at handling immediate crises and then afterwards you can think oh, that was quite scary um you know nick my husband might disagree because he he hears me afterwards swearing like a sailor and <laughs> how did we end up in this what do we do next time to make sure this doesn't happen and all that um but at the time i'm i'm good you also have the ability to thrive in high stress environments with zero anxiety whilst also experiencing anxiety in other environments. And I ask you about this because I feel exactly the same. When I've done live television, I never felt more alive. But then something in my own life, I can develop real anxiety. And you look at the mm. two situations next to each other and you think, well, that's the anxiety-inducing one, not this. Mm. Why, have you kind of been able to unpick how you're able to be in such a high-stress situation and remain so calm? When I, when I was working in live broadcasting, I would liken it to my brain could compartmentalize. And I'm, I'm a very visual person. I'm quite a, I've got quite a photographic memory. So for me, I could almost, it was almost like Minority Report. Remember going yeah. back to Tom Cruise? <laughs> if we see him, we'll have a chat about it. Um, where he could, different things would come up and he'd swipe, go, right, that's not, not that, not that, right, that, bring it up larger. And I could almost do that while I was broadcasting with, 
I've got quite a good memory for facts and this sort of thing. So I could be interviewing someone and they'd mention something and I'd think, I know a bit about that. And half my brain would split in half and the other half's going, no, not that, not that, not that. Ah, that's it. Mm. So I'm quite good on quiz shows. Um, <laughs> but also I could hear the PA giving me timings. I could hear the editor telling me what was coming next, all this sort of stuff, and hear it all happening at once and stay very calm even if technical things went wrong. Where it Where I struggle is in my personal life because – if it's someone I love or care about very much and something's happening and you're in a situation where you're not getting on or you've you've reached a kind of a head-on moment of where you're both feeling very differently about something, that all goes totally out the window. I can't do my Tom Cruise minority report, well, that's not relevant, this is not relevant. My heart starts pounding the blood rushes in my ears, I can't quite hear what they're saying properly, and I have a fully emotional reaction rather than having almost like an academic reaction, which is a professional reaction, which is what I do at work. And it's dreadful. And I don't know why. And I think it is purely because I care too much. Not that I don't care at work. I Mm -hmm. do care at work, but it's different. But when it's someone that I care about, and you know what I think the nub of it is, is I don't want to say anything that they're not going to like me anymore, which is utterly infuriating because what a ridiculous way to be. And even when I'm raging and thinking, no, you've got that so wrong, there's a part of me that is thinking, don't don't say Mm. it because they won't like you anymore. Yeah. And then when I do say it, um, because I'm so bad at it, rather than it coming out in a measured way, it comes out as a roar. And then I'm too loud. Mm. And then they understandably go, well, what the hell was that all about? That was far too big for what it should be. And luckily, I'm with someone now who understands, right, okay, there is a weight of a lifetime of experience that's coming out in that roar. I'm not shouting about this one thing because there will have been something that's been said that has triggered a memory, a response, an experience. And actually, it's fear of all of those things that is roaring right now so luckily they're able to in most circumstances clearly i'm talking about nick my husband he is also a human who'll go what the hell (laughs) (laughs) but can understand right okay that is that is a big wave that's brought all of that with it we're not just talking about this one thing so once we both have a thing where we can we walk away and we'll come back to it later oh right we're still feeling quite scratchy about that let's walk away and come back to it later i tend to stomp away i'm i'm a great stomp out the door and go for a walk kind of person a good stomp i am a stomper does the mind and body good (laughs) but before we started recording we talked about obstacles and you talked about poor choices in men and nick is obviously fantastic at reading you and having that sense of this isn't just about this situation. He looks at the bigger picture. Mm. But you've talked previously about perhaps the men in your life haven't been that supportive, haven't had that perspective, have liked your shininess, I think you described it. And actually when you had needed their help in the past, had kind of encouraged you to do what you were doing anyway, which was just swallow it down and not Mm. speak up. That's obviously a big, big shift in relationships that you've been able to surround yourself with. And they do say that you get what you put out, you attract what you're supposed to. What was the fundamental shift and how damaging was it to be in a dynamic where when you did say how you were feeling, which probably 
took a long time to come to the surface to have someone say, no, no, pack that away and put it, put it away again. We don't like that. Well, so there's lots of layers to that. So in terms of where I am now, um, what's useful about my relationship with, with Nick is that when we met, uh, because we met on a blind date, we were set up by friends years ago. It was a date that neither of us wanted to go on. And we only went because we didn't want to let the other people down. It was a, it was a, I, we, yeah, <laughs> it was a, a, two couples. It was a foursome, uh, date. Neither of us were in a good place. Neither of us were looking, uh, for a relationship. And anyway, we, we, we clicked and we ended up, we, we got together and our relationship started from a place of real vulnerability because we opened up immediately about how we were feeling and experiences that we had in a way that we never should have. We never did that romantic for a six month thing where you only show your best side and it's like something out of Emily in Paris and all of that. We never did that. Actually, we just talked and talked and talked and unpacked all the mistakes we'd made in our life, the things we'd experienced that had happened to us. And we kind of rebuilt each other. Um, Nick went into a period of very dark, depression that I helped him through um, and that in a way was quite self-serving for me because it helped me not look at what I was feeling because I was helping someone else and then years later it flipped and he ended up doing the same for me so why it works now is we understand where we're where we're coming from going back to the 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 other part of that question which was what was it what was it like um I I've not had many relationships in in my life. I've, you know, I've been married three times and I've actually only dated four men. So I've only dated one person who I didn't marry and that <laughs> didn't actually last very long. And so my experience is actually quite shallow, I suppose. And I don't mean shallow as in a narcissistic, only thinking of myself way. I mean, in terms of depth of experience of lots of, lots of people. So... What that meant was, for example, my uh, my first relationship, I'm, I met him at school. And so who you are at school and then who you are in your, you know, in your later years is very different. Unless you grow together, that can be really challenging. And then the same thing uh, happened, to, happened again in my next relationship, which was, I love how brave you are. I love how, you know, positive you are and how you'll go for things. And then that became a problem because being naturally optimistic and shiny, I suppose, and going for things actually becomes really annoying and threatening. And then it doesn't matter how supportive you are, the fact that how come you're getting it and I'm not? How come it's working for you and it's not working for me? How come people are looking at you? Why are people rating you? Because I don't think you're that great. Um, becomes really difficult, particularly when it's coming from people that are supposed to love you and care for you. And it became very confusing to me because I couldn't understand why this is not how a relationship should be. But I had no idea through lack of experience and immaturity and all of it. How do you change that? Now I look back and I feel really sorry for that person, that me, because it was never going to be any different to what it was. I just didn't know that, do you know what? You should have cut your losses earlier because it was never going to be how you thought it was going to be. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Trying to understand why someone would say to you as you'd got ready to go out for the night, you know, and you come downstairs and go, I'm heading out, you know, what do you think? I'm going to a big event. It's a work thing. I don't know why you bother. No one's going to look at you. Jeez. You know, why, why go to all that effort? No one cares. And trying to explain to someone about your day and being completely shut down time and time again. And then you hear that they're lying about you and saying horrible things behind your back. And then actually they're cheating on you on top of all of that. I've had those experiences. And it's, I suppose now it's called gaslighting. At the time, I didn't know that that was what it was. But at the time, I felt like I was running to stand still to try and make it into something I now see it was never going to be. Because I thought that being kind, being supportive, being being present, uh, being all the things that I felt they wanted actually was making it worse because you were just being so irritating. Mm. And actually, and I see it now so clearly, what they wanted was for me to just go away. And I kept blooming staying because I thought you just keep working at something. But I see that now quite clearly. What it's left me with, though, is I do still struggle with speaking up because... In my past, it's not gone down very well, and the responses have not been very, very nice, shall we say. So there's a lot of fear about speaking up because I don't know what the response is going to be. Even now in a relationship where I know it's all fine and that would never happen, it's like a, it's like a shadow that appears out of nowhere. It, it's difficult to explain without saying too much and like because I have I have children so I don't want to go into too much detail but it's it never quite goes mm. if that makes sense is it like the sort of, is it a similar sort of reflex when you burn yourself and then you're just edgy around the, that thing you burnt yourself on for the rest of time I think in a simplistic way, yes, but then you would always know that fire is going to burn you. I think the, the, or something hot is going to burn you. I think with relationships, particularly ones with someone who is supposed to love you, when they turn so quickly, when you think that you've been having a nice day and you say one thing that is apparently so infuriating and um, wrong, and you haven't seen it coming. And for someone who can normally read a room really well, 
um, it's difficult because it's like your senses are scrambled. Mm. You know, I can remember having a wonderful weekend, great weekend, loads of friends around and all this sort of stuff. And as we waved at the door and shut the door to say goodbye, in an instant it changed. And suddenly, apparently, I had done everything wrong that weekend. I'd humiliated them. I'd done the, the food had been terrible. This, all of all of these things, and then you have to suffer for that for days afterwards, and you don't even see it coming. And yet, on the outside, you're smiling and you're living this amazing golden life and doing this fantastic job. But actually, behind closed doors, it's not like that at all. So that's what I mean by sometimes even speaking up. It's difficult because that wave comes with it, but also it's it's not like a fire because you recognize what a fire is and you stay away from it. Sometimes it looks like everything's fine. So you don't know that it's a, suddenly going to turn into a fire. It's quite, it's quite challenging. So I think in the present, for me, sometimes I can overread something and think it's turning into something that it's not. And I react as if it has. And it, hasn't mm. so that's where nick is very good at like whoa <laughs> literally just said <laughs> x y and z didn't mean that we don't not, you know you're all good because in relationships so uh you've talked about the fact that in 2019 you never knew whether you'd feel good again mm. and you're with nick at that time and some people like well is that because it's a sign that relationship's not great but actually it was a sign that relationship the relationship was so great you felt comfortable to actually say what had been bubbling under the surface for a long long time yeah and so when i when i finally short-circuited which is what we call my year of the face plant because i just feel like i just mentally went Blueprint for failure, year of the face plant. I love it. Loving all of this, Andrew. <laughs> you know, maybe it's years of working as a sub-editor. Always have a great headline. The year of the face plant. Um, I had been holding it in and holding it in and thinking, no, I'm a strong woman. I can cope with this. Come on, come on, pull it together. All of that sort of stuff. And then I realized uh, so one, one fateful day where it literally, it felt like I short-circuited and had to go home and, and say to Nick, we need to have a chat. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Um, he was devastated because as a, as a husband and a partner, how could he not have seen? And explaining to him that it's very likely that you wouldn't have seen because women are really good at keeping going. And where men aren't that used to asking any further than, are you okay? And being told yes. And then everyone just crack on with their day because she'd tell me, wouldn't she? Mm. Actually, no, she wouldn't. You have to ask a few times before, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Yes, really? Yes, I'm fine. You would tell me if, keep going until you get to the answer. Um, but what we did was we we went to couples counseling. So I had counseling for myself to help me unpack. Really, the, the things that I alluded to earlier was mm they were still rattling around in my head and I needed to put that to bed. Um, and then understanding, yeah, how to set boundaries and how to speak about things in a way that wouldn't heighten everything so that I didn't feel like I was under a- attack for the smallest thing. So I sorted that out myself with my lovely um, lovely counsellor that I saw. And then Nick joined later and we had couples counselling so that we could understand, right, you know that when she reacts like that, it's not necessarily you, but you just need to be aware of even a tone of voice, even a look on your face. She sees something 
different. She goes mm. back to a whole different time. Um, and that was good. But we still see her now, which most people are surprised that I'm really open about it. You know, if you ever, if you ever watched Couples Therapy on the telly, I can't remember what channel it's on. It's a great program called Couples Therapy. I hugely recommend it. Most couples go to therapy or counseling when they're at a point of crisis. Mm. But actually, the way I see it is, in the olden times, we used to be we used to be raised in a tribe or a village with elders and this sort of thing. And nowadays, we're all all over the place and we're and we're busy. You had an elder that wasn't your parents, and and the reason I say this because I love my parents very much, but I wouldn't necessarily want to burden them or or what have you. You go to an elder and go right, we're having this trouble with with this. You're wiser than me. You've had loads of experience in this. What do you reckon? What do we do? Brilliant. Thanks for that. And off you go. You know, if your plumbing was broken, you'd ask a plumber. You wouldn't try and fix it yourself. Why mm. put two people in a cage and then expect them just to crack on for the rest of their lives without giving them any instructions as to how to do it? You ask someone. So, yeah, we still we still have counselling now. And this is what I think you do with This Girl Is On Fire. I think you have the ability to take the step back from whatever the situation is, whether it's communication between you and a partner or communication with you and a boss or communication between you and a child. You, that's what you do with the, the website and with the app is you take that step back and then offer the resources that empower whoever absorbs that so that they can then move forward with purpose and not have to navigate all the complicated stuff and make the mistakes that other people have made. They're, they're forewarned, if you like, and they can go in. It's like asking someone advice for, if you know a friend of yours knows someone who's going to interview you, you say to them, what do they like? What don't they like? That sort of thing. You kind of get a, I think that's what mm. you do really well with the website and with the app. How I see it is with this Girls on Fire, it's like, joining us for a coffee and only it's not just me sitting there there is there are hundreds of other people that have advice experience everything else and someone will say oh gosh right this thing that because someone put a post out actually yesterday uh talking about we'd done a coaching session about unpeeling the layers of your onion and get to the core of of your why why is it you want to do this thing are you doing it because uh, you you think it's what everyone expects you to do. It just seems like the natural next step. Or is it something that you genuinely want to do? Unpeel the layers and get to the why. And she put a post out saying, I'm really struggling because I'm so used to just doing what I think everyone thinks I should be doing. I actually don't know how to ask myself the questions. Mm. And what was beautiful was I held back a little bit before answering. So I thought, I want to see if the other women come in on this. And they did. Mm. And they were recommending podcasts, books, just different resources, eat things outside of this Girls on Fire, as well as the, the masterclasses and coaching sessions that we have on, in our library. And that's exactly what it's about. It's like having a coffee with someone and they will go, oh my gosh, you're going here, you need to go to this restaurant, this restaurant, or go and see this. But in terms of life, mm -hmm. because, you know, people say, oh, oh there's, there's no information on that. It's the opposite problem. There's too much information on it. How do you know what you can trust? Mm. What do you do? You ask a friend. So now you're in a position where you can put something out and women that you can trust will recommend something to you because either they've been there and experienced it themselves or they know someone who mm -hmm. has. And I think in terms of my position with this Girls on Fire, 
and this is something I feel really strongly about, is that I've been where you are. I know how it feels. I know how it feels to be stuck and scared and anxious and but also to feel brave and mighty and that you can take on any challenge and actually you're a warrior queen but you're also this little girl who's really scared actually we're all of these things mm -hmm. and somehow you're expected to be one or the other it goes right back to when we talk about when people dislike you on social media or what have you nobody is one thing And nobody is one opinion or, or, you know, one persona. We are, we are many. You can be brave and have almost a warrior queen sort of quality and also go to bed and cry at night because you're so scared because you don't know if you're doing the right thing or not. That's totally normal. And yet the media constantly gives us this idea that you're either broken or a survivor or you are you know, a champion and you're excellent at everything. You know what? All of these things all muddled up into one. And that's, that's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because it would just be too hard to just be one of those things all the time. But it's it's Either unsustainable. Mm. You know, you... The way I see it, so, you know, I've, Nick and I, have, I've now become this crazy tattooed lady in my 50s um, <laughs> because I remember years ago, oh, my gosh, don't get a tattoo. What will it look like when your skin gets old and wrinkly? My skin is old and wrinkly. I just cut to the chase and got it done now. So <laughs> I've, um, Nick and I had tattoos done, which is like a, a heartbeat on our, on our wrist. And the reason for that is to remind you that life goes up and down mm. because if it's flatlining, you're dead. You need to remind yourself that there'll be highs and and lows and which you know some people might think well, that's blooming stupid why'd you get tattooed on your hand just remembered it <laughs> remember it you've got a Actually, heart in your body you got, exactly exactly <laughs> but it's just like a little visual clue or, or, or trigger I suppose a positive trigger that just because I'm feeling weak right now it will pass mm -hmm. and also when I'm feeling mighty right now enjoy it because that will also pass It, that's how it is. And if you're expecting it to all be glorious, that's not real. I saw Tom Hanks. It wasn't Tom Cruise, it was Tom Hanks this time. Uh, he was on a, an interview recently, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, for life, you've just got to remember this too shall pass. The good stuff and the bad stuff. If you can remember that, you'll be fine. It is. And, and I've, I've had that in me since I was a child before I even knew that saying. I can remember being about nine or 10 and something had happened and I'd hurt myself and I can't remember what it was. But I remember even then, I think I'd, I'd really badly cut my foot and I ended up to have stitches and then I was on crutches and this sort of thing. And um, I remember even then thinking, this really hurts, but it won't hurt forever. And I started this thing in my head that I've carried on and I just started counting to 10. And I remember thinking, if I can get to 10, it'll be, it'll be okay and it will start to fade. And I just did that over and over. And I remember it, it is in little moments of my life that counting has come back and it's really helped me when I've had anxiety. You know, at, at its worst, I've had anxiety where I couldn't get out of my car because I was so overwhelmed. Um, but I needed to go to the shops because I'm a mum and, you know, people need food. And I needed to go to, to the supermarket. And I remember thinking, if I can get out and I can get the trolley and just push it up and down, I'll be all right. Okay, if I can count to 10, 
I'll be okay. And then I'd get to 10 and think, right, okay, if I can do that 10 times, that's over a minute. I've survived a minute longer than I thought I could. And then next thing, five minutes has gone by and then it's 10. And then suddenly you realize you're just looking at bread and doing normal things and it's past. So the this too shall pass. You can find your own way through it. For me, it's counting. I did it when I was in labor, um, having a child, you know, keep counting, ride the wave. Just mm. it will, it will pass. Find your own little, little way through it. But it, it does, even the good stuff, sadly. Um, our time together is drawing to a close. I'm so sorry. I give really long answers. No, please do not apologize. They're fantastic. So I'm going to ask you, um, to tell me about a time when you were wrong. Gosh, I mean, countless. <laughs> so many times. Again, refer back to the appendix of um, <laughs> Bad Choice in Men. Um, and actually, do you know what? Even then, it wasn't necessarily a bad choice. It was realizing actually that wasn't going to work and staying too long. Um, a time when I got it wrong, I think, for me, was... A time with my parents. Now, I'm really blessed that I still have both my, my mum and dad, and we have a brilliant relationship. You've met my mum and dad, so you, mm, you know how lovely they are and how lucky I am. It was a, it was a time when uh, my dad had recently retired, so suddenly he was around a lot more. So he started watching me on telly, having never done it before. It, my parents worked overseas. My dad worked overseas. He wasn't in this country. So suddenly he's back in the UK and he's watching me every day. And he he took to giving me a critique of every show and asking me, you know, why didn't you ask this question? And uh, <sighs> you you missed this point and, and all of this. And um, he thought it was constructive feedback. And then if I ever went around to the house and they had friends around and they'd say, oh, my gosh, you're in Jack. I didn't realize, you know, and Drew McLean is, is, your, is your daughter. And he would make a funny comment and put me down and he'd say something like, you know, well, you think she looks good now and you should see her in the morning when, or when she was a teenager and she had acne in a perm. Oh, my God, never thought she'd turn <laughs> out like this or this sort of thing. Very kind of Glaswegian sense of humor of get, getting in there first and, and put me down. And it was he he just thought he was being funny. I got so upset by all of these things because I felt that he really was being unkind. And it was it was really difficult because he's my dad and I love my dad and you just want your dad to tell you that you're great. Mm -hmm. You know, you never move beyond being four. <laughs> and um, I had to have a really difficult conversation with him and explain how this was making him making me feel and he was horrified really horrified because he thought he was just being helpful and he didn't see that actually doing that thing of in his mind it was only a joke and getting in there first he thought in a weird way it was almost like protecting me you know like you have self-deprecating humor mm -hmm. like for example if you don't like your nose the first thing you'll say is make a comment about your nose mm -hmm. In his eyes, he was almost getting in there first so that it was like, yeah, we know she's just normal. So you don't need to put her on a pedestal or mm -hmm. know that. She's just Andrea to us. But he didn't think about how it was making me feel. How I feel I got it wrong was I got so upset. Rather than being able to step back from it and think, this is a man who loves me. He he is just doing what he thinks is right. It's just misguided. Mm -hmm. It's not 
personal, but I took it personally for a while. And it it caused a few bumps for a, a little while. And now I'm really, really glad to say that that has passed. Uh, obviously, I'm not telly anymore, so he doesn't give me critiques of my performance uh, anymore. <laughs> and also, he doesn't... Uh, if I walk in a room and it's, oh my gosh, Jack, didn't realize the dream of claim was your daughter. It's, yes, she is. But actually, I'm, uh, she's in dream of claim, but I'm Jack McLean. <laughs> I'm her dad. And as you've met him and you, you know what he's like, actually, it's glorious. It's all come fully rounded. But I think taking that time to step back, and especially if you are in a relationship with someone, in this case, it was, you know, my parents, and it feels like something hurtful is happening. Take the time to step back and think, what bit of this could I be getting wrong? Mm. And I wish I'd done that sooner. I can't wait to hear what Jack thinks of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I would expect a written critique. Um, <laughs> as we leave each other, I'm going to ask you what makes you hopeful about the future. Everything makes me hopeful about the future which is bonkers because there's so much going wrong. <laughs> so much going yeah, wrong. The world is on fire. The world, the world is burning. Um, you know, everyone's so angry. Uh, obviously, the the business that I quit my job to go into, um, it has not been smooth sailing. You know, we, we launched, uh, we did a huge app launch. As, as you know, we have an app. You're a big part of that. And uh, we launched at the time when tech giants decided to do a, a reset. And it meant that we had technical glitches. And as we went, ta-da, globally, we live streamed it. We'd done PR. It was like the doors stuck and no one could get in. And it didn't work. Can you imagine how that feels? It feels not good. That's how that feels. Um, so what do you do? You stop, you regroup and think, okay, that happened. Let's move on. There's nothing you can do about it. And actually, in the same way that it's it's the hope that kills you, it's also the hope that keeps you going. It's, mm -hmm. it's all you can do is, is stay hopeful because what else have we got? Stay hopeful and um, continue to do what you're doing because I think what you're doing with this Girls on Fire is absolutely fantastic. And listeners, if you haven't already, I really encourage you to take a look at the website, download the app, have a look around. Um, it really is like having Andrea in your life in a much more <laughs> present way. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, I guarantee you'll absolutely love the website. But Andrea, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure you're subscribed so you never miss a show. And why not tell a friend about the podcast? If you want to watch what happens behind the scenes, then head over to my Instagram where I'm at Emma Guns. And if you want to get in touch with me and share any risks, obstacles, challenges, or curveballs that you've faced and overcome, then tell me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. And it may feature in one of the midweek shows. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you on the next one. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.